<laughs> more, more kits and mindies. Um, so there's this thing that happened last week, and a lot of people are cheering and excited and happy, and uh, didn't think they would it would be happening, especially based on where the internet was a year ago. And we, I think I can speak for Anthony and me when I say that we are pretty much in love with the internet. Our lives would be very, very different if the internet wasn't one, what it is or what it was when we discovered it. Um, yet we have some weird opinions. I, I mean, weird by the, I, I say weird the I same way. weird. No, exactly. But I say weird the same way Pendulet says he's a nut before saying something absolutely correct and true. It in the sense that I want to diminish how you know how important my opinion is in this context. I think I'm right, but it scares me that people who agree with me about how important the internet is don't realize that. Um, how would you say it? Like, what do they not see? The people who are excited about this. So we haven't talked. We haven't said. Okay, I'll leave it to you. We're a little pissed off about net neutrality. And Basically. a little is probably an understatement. <laughs> if I, you've been following any of our tweets in the past week or more. I think pissed off doesn't really cut it for me. I think it's it's more uh, baffled in the same way that I'm baffled when, when governments uh, say they want to protect you and then make you more insecure in the same, in the same heartbeat, in the same sentence. Uh, for me, net neutrality is this very, very complex problem that even the definition of net neutrality has been this weird. Journalists always have to struggle to explain what what technological that not technologically savvy people like us mean when we say net neutrality. I, I don't really know who coined net neutrality, and that in that sense, I feel bad because I I should have read up on. Well, let's look up <laughs> where the have, term came from. We have the internet, so it could it could be people at the EFF, or it could be people who were just you know uh, freedom fighters, people who fought SOPA. Uh, so I know who... the the FCC originally when they were like talking about these different types of rules, they were talking about um, what was their exact term that they used? It was like open internet principles. I think yes. it was what they originally think... referring to them as, and then net neutrality became a term that people were using in conjunction with that. Okay. But I'm not sure exactly where the... Oh, the term was coined by Columbia Uni University media law professor Tim Wu in 2003 okay, as an so extension it's... of a long-standing concept of a common carrier. So there's there's this... That, that makes sense that it would have started way back then and then the, the, the meaning of it would have been redefined or, you know, depending on who was, who was talking about it. Uh, there's this website called Battle, Battle for the Net, and that's the one that's been um, referred to as kind of a rallying cry for this pre... So basically, the FCC... Was it the FCC? Okay. The FCC had a vote uh, with... I don't, I think the FCC is constituted kind of like the Supreme Court. It has a few, not justices, but advisors or people yeah, five who, of them. Right. And they had to decide uh, by just, you know, high, yay, nay vote whether they... Um, wanted to do something very drastic, which is recategorized, recategorized uh, what the internet is, I guess, classified under to make it sort of unimpeachable 
the same way that telecommunications, n- normal terrestrial, and uh, I think rate and was it power and uh, utilities, Cable. right? Which is really funny because yeah, <laughs> it's very strange the line between these things. <laughs> because the idea being, let's find a legal way by which people can't fuck with the internet. And as lawyers do, they find loopholes, which is basically what this is. This is a fucking giant hack to protect, at least in the way that people intend or think that it should be protected, the internet from being messed with by people who uh, want to... So the the, the big boogeyman in this instance would be people like Comcast, because that's the one that everybody, everybody talks about. So Comcast has this thing where they are an internet service provider, but they have this different tiers of service based on the partnerships that they make. So they make commercial partnerships and they uh, allow their customers to access some partner content faster than non-partner content, which seems utterly unfair, but in the grand scheme of things, it's the commercial company. If you could leave Comcast, this would be non a non-issue, but it happens that in the U.S., competition for broadband internet access is not fluid you don't have choice when we you should you should have choice i think the government has tried to i don't even know actually has the has what's been the situation with the competition problem so that's this is one of the biggest issues with the term net neutrality i think is that there is so much wrapped into it and i think a lot of the issues that people are fully supporting this thing because they're latching onto one or two of these aspects and not fully considering every different yeah, side of this thing. So right. there's, for some reason, the you know competition between ISPs got roped into net neutrality, which I think, which I think is totally different. I don't see how we can come up with some rules or legislation that say how internet traffic should be treated and and somehow wrap internet service provider competition into that as well, which is a Strange issue, but that that's certainly one part that people that talk about this issue are concerned about. Then there's the way that the actual data is handled, which is what you were referencing before, and the way that um, Comcast can handle the bits that are flowing through their network and all things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, you know, generally there's certain parts of net neutrality that are hard to argue with, which is one of them that everyone likes to say is hard to argue with is all bits are created equal, which mm-hmm. I think is total bullshit. <laughs> Because I, I really do. And I, and a I think strong opening. Yeah, strong opening. I, I don't know. I think we just need to start picking these off one by one. So let's mm-hmm. let's start with that. Good idea. A, you have a, a plan. Common, very methodical. That's a common rallying call. All bits are created equal, and I, I think that sounds like the kind of every you know equality that we all love in other aspects of life. But I think that might hold back what the internet can do if all bits are always equal. And I say that in reference, my my example I always like to use is that there is no world that you could find me in which my Netflix connection would be more important than a top-of-the-line surgeon operating remotely across the world. Mm -hmm. There is not a single world you can find me in which that is true, or not true. So you mean, yeah, in parallel universes, there will not be an Anthony that thinks that somehow he's more of a special flower than, than right. the Right, than the one of the top surgeons in the world operating remotely. And that's this is a thing that is out there. It's not super widely used yet. This is still mm-hmm. like, you know, it's still in the early days of that stuff. But that's something that the Internet would be a major aspect to 
when it comes time that that's something that we're using in the world. And that's mm-hmm. has crazy implications. If you think about, you know, what if you, if you put a remote surgery station somewhere in Africa that has very little medical coverage, all of a sudden you have top surgeons in the world able to ap- operate in multiple locations in Africa where there's very little medical coverage for those sorts of surgeries, mm-hmm. you know, like that, that kind of stuff that's not quite here yet, but will be soon could change the way that people. I mean, it is yet experiment, ex- experimentally. There are already uh, remote operations oh, happening yeah. for surgeons that either can't travel or just don't have time to sit, to travel in time for like a uh, uh, exploratory or like, uh, you know, experimental elective surgery, surgery. Whatever, yeah. elective. Yeah. Yeah, my, my girlfriend went to uh, Johns Hopkins for pre-med, and they have a big, uh, I think it's neurosurgeon there, but they have a big remote lab um, on campus wow. there that you can see into, and you can see the device that is doing remote surgery. But my point being, like, there's things that are, are still early days that we'll need to take advantage of, of. People always like to say the term fast lanes, which gets me annoyed because series of tubes is somehow a horrible thing to say about the internet, but we can say fast lanes and no one gives a shit. But there's something like that, a, a thing that, that is going to require some special attention to the data it's sending. Are we ready to rule out that aspect of what the internet could be if it's not even here yet? And that's the thing that scares me a little bit, because how do you go back on something like saying all bits are equal and then realizing... Oh, there's a few use cases that could change the world in pretty dramatic ways that we've ruled out 20 or 30 years too early. I think people, of course, don't think that far. Um, they don't really consider this. And more importantly, uh, I think all bits are created equal is more of a philosophical stance than it is a technical one. I don't think it's informed by technical prowess or understanding. It's It's just... It's kind of like it should be that way. It doesn't matter if it's hard to technically accomplish or or, or if it's completely impossible. <laughs> um, it just so happens that it sounds and feels like a good idea, which which is kind of where we get into the how often do we have uh, legislators making rules that sound like great rules but have gigantic unintended consequences? You, this one is kind of a positive one where you have, you know, there's a need for these people to be prioritized on the internet because uh, you're watching a, a YouTube video is literally like some asshole in a coffee shop watching a, a YouTube video while you're trying to actually push a deploy to your very important job. Uh, that to me is kind of like a good test of like, do you really believe in fast lanes? Go in a coffee shop and try to do something important while someone's watching a funny video and giggling in a couch next to you. Uh, do you still believe that that their bits are created equal? So my answer could be, I don't want to decide, right? It's not my place to decide. It's the coffee shop owner's place to decide. Well, then the coffee shop owner and this shitty metaphor that I'm building is is Comcast. They own the modem. They own the access. And they're not discriminating between you and the other customer, but that will bother you if you're trying to get stuff done. If you could have a fast lane, uh, funny enough, I think in Orlando there's a, there's a coffee shop. And I'm not sure that's true, so I'm not going to say the name of the coffee shop. But I think uh, one of their perks for uh, regulars is a special Wi-Fi that is uh, on a different – either on a, on a faster router or on a, a router that's not rate-limited. 
So if you're a regular, you go there, and generally, if you're a regular, you're going to be working there as a remote worker. You get the faster lane. <laughs> however, <laughs> however annoying the metaphor is. Um, so I don't know where I'm, I was going with that, but no, I feel it's, like it's that's kind of a, relating into people's like, n- d- even at a smaller scale where you're not saving people's lives. Do you really believe that right. all bits are equal? Now, should they be? Is it like philosophically? Right. A it's a. It's issue. a. I feel like. We're not, I guess that was my point is that we're, I don't know if we fully considered the actual technical aspects of that versus the, because I'm fully on board philosophically, right? I'm all for equality and justice and all that. But like, technically, there are some issues and and related to this, that is strange that it hasn't come up yet. So a lot of the all bits recreated equal thing is, is so that um, hypothetically Netflix with the, with a, with whatever money they have could pay service providers to serve their video bits faster than other video providers. And that's a, that's one of the key mm-hmm. examples uses all bits are created equal. And while that part of, of the issue is in the net neutrality talks, something that doesn't come up is, is uh, the boxes that Netflix has given to internet service providers. Um, and these things are not even referred to in the net neutrality legislation or rules or anything like that but i feel like it's pretty huge aspect to this whole thing that needs to be talked about and i think um if you google let me find out the exact name i think it's called open connect boxes for netflix Mm -hmm. they're these i think like terabyte or a few terabyte drives that they give and it's a basically a peering agreement that they give to service providers and they they attach it to their local nodes um so they say you know, here's a here's a box that holds almost all of Netflix. So if you're sitting at your house, you request a certain movie to start streaming. Your request goes to your local uh, service provider hub, and that says, "Oh, you know what? I don't need to request that all the way from Netflix. I have it right here on this drive," and it starts sending it to you. Mm-hmm. And this, when they started rolling these out, this cut down the buffering of Netflix videos by like. I don't I don't know if you remember when this was happening, but it was insane the performance yep. bonus that this was, and it was just because. You didn't have all of that round trip time. I was only going to, you know, maybe a, a Verizon FiOS node somewhere in the Philadelphia area versus all the way across country to wherever the closest Netflix CDN was. Wait, so if, so you, if you're if you're a web developer, this is basically a CDN. It's, it's your basically locally, super locally... local CDN. Right. Yeah. And and this part of the of the thing is not even referred to in the net neutrality things. Is is this, which is a good thing because they're saying you know this this is not outlawed yet in the net neutrality rules, but I have a hard time believing that if this thing sees actual congressional legislation that these boxes would not be outlawed because how is, the, how is this any different than what they're saying all bits are equal right now? If, if Netflix has the money to buy these boxes and create these boxes and distribute them and, and provide better service, that seems like something that they're going to be outlawing just in the same way as, as paying Comcast or Verizon or, or Google to prefer your bits and sending them, which could destroy the way that the internet actually works right now performance wise if if netflix was outlawed from having these things all of a sudden you have that much more traffic and we've all seen the stats of how much traffic netflix pushes through the through the network at night and if all of a sudden these open connect boxes go away that that terrifies me for how much data is going to be you know getting pushed across country back to those cdns versus these open connect boxes there there are two issues here uh, there's the impact that Netflix has on the global bandwidth available, right? That's the the side effect of Netflix existing. 
And I feel like there's another one. The other one being, it is true that Netflix having these agreements with ISPs means that the competition for Netflix is harder because they're an incumbent and they have these huge networks of relationships with ISPs throughout the world where they've just been you know, strapped with cash. So they are able to, one, provide these boxes because they probably cost a pretty penny. And oh, two, yeah. have the, you know, the clout to just talk to the ISPs and even just register on their radar to even do that with them. Yeah. Just imagining the funny things like imagine the, like if the government rule was no, you have to allow anybody to have open connect boxes at your ISP. So now every ISP would be mandated to let anyone who needs to CDN their hyper local shit right there uh, just to, just ima- just imagining the the nightmare that this would be it would be hard doesn't mean that it's impossible but it probably be very hard and it would alleviate some of the traffic it, I feel like it only makes sense of course with you huge bandwidth eaters like YouTube exactly and Netflix and, and, and that was like the that. thing I was going to bring up is that yeah this sounds like a thing that should get lumped in with all bits created equal or whatever the the saying is that. Netflix shouldn't be allowed to provide these boxes to service providers because it gives them a leg up. But the the thing is that the only reason they need these boxes is because they have grown so big. If you're a small video provider starting out, you're not dealing with the sheer amount of data or connections that would require this type of service. Once Netflix reached a certain size where they they were putting so much traffic out through the network and, and causing so much network congestion... Once they got to that size, they needed these boxes, and they've built up a business that allows them to pay for these things. It's 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 paying for their own infrastructure out of the fact that they've grown to that size. Where you know, if, if someone came along and started a new video service and started building an audience, the the expectation is that their business model would allow them to have money to build out the infrastructure as they see fit. And when they get to a point when they realize that everyone is sitting at, there at night waiting for their videos to buffer they start realizing, oh, we need to invest in this infrastructure in the same way that Netflix has. I don't see how that's something that should be outlawed. That's the way that this stuff works. Do, do you see, though, the chicken and egg problem that economically people see? They, they see the problem of, if you reduce it to, of course, extremely simple terms, and actually even if you're technical, there is an expectation. You said it. There's an expectation of speed, of course, because their service is successful. People who... I guess maybe six years ago we were using Netflix, it was good enough, right? And it was like, oh, it's not great. It's not going to replace DVDs because it's slow right. yeah. to buffer. And then it got fast because they got smart and they had money. Now, it's true, though, that someone like Netflix would be, a, someone as disruptive, God, I'm so sorry, as Netflix showing up in the market to try to compete with Netflix, uh, on, say on mobile phones, like now it's just like crazy streaming because the bandwidth is allowing for that on, on mobile phones. Now they're, they found a way to, you know, somehow compress something that it shows up on your phone faster than it does for Netflix, whatever. Um, that company would have a harder time because of the establishment of Netflix. But at the same time, while I'm saying this, I want to let you answer. I can see that it's basically protectionism in a way. It's It's like, Let's let's not allow one company to be just too successful. Yep. Because because others might have a hard time. So it's a, it's tr- trying to legislate on what ifs. The issue is that 
I, I get what you're saying that, you know, oh, well, Netflix is that good now. So the expectation is that anyone that tries to come along needs to be that good. Exactly. Uh, the problem is if you put those kind of limitations that say that, oh, Netflix can't do that because not everyone can, all of a sudden <laughs> you just made every video service real shitty. You just took it back to the Netflix of six years ago where you're waiting around for buffering. And all of a sudden, yeah, that means that video services can come along and compete with Netflix because Netflix isn't that good anymore. But also that video service is going to get just as good as Netflix. Nothing's ever going to beat that. Mm -hmm. And now you're getting to the issue when this regulation is going to start putting caps on how good technology can be. And mm -hmm. that's when it becomes an issue is yeah. when you've just put out of an economic philosophical debate, you've just put a limit on how good video streaming could be. And now, yep. and, and then you start realizing, oh shit, now we've, we've kind of screwed ourselves. I and really yeah, bandwidth's going to get better and, and speeds are going to get better. So naturally video streaming will get better, but I don't want to have to wait for, you know, the actual wires and the technology to get better to yeah. the point. I'd rather have companies be able to invest in their own CDNs, really. Yeah. Because then There's where do you draw the line? Do you say you can't have CDNs anymore? If you can't have a, where, where's the line between having a open connect box in an ISP's data center or, you know, whatever net, you know, whatever hubs they have, mm -hmm. where's the line between that and having CDNs? Yep. Well, there's where does a, that stop? I don't know. It's, it's strange. That there, I was, while you were saying this, I was thinking, so what if I'm Netflix? This is really funny because we have a friend who works at Netflix now. He, I don't know if he ever listens to this. It's going to be interesting for him. Um, I hope he does uh, when he calls us. That would be great. Like live right now. He just, because, you know, of course, Netflix is part of whatever. They, they know, they know, they know now. Um, I really wonder people, what people at Netflix are thinking because they've, they've been the, the strappy startup and they've grown big and they've solved very, very hard computer science, computer science and just technical networking problems. They came up with these open connect box, which is pretty freaking brilliant. And now that they've done all this work, um, they see around them the, the the just the world evolving towards hey net neutrality is probably a good idea. And so this 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 piece on the verge uh, called "Is Netflix Commitment to Net Neutrality a Lie?" It's from March third, two thousand fifteen, which is today. today. Is <laughs> crazy. And uh, this is what I was I was always wondering. This has been in my head the last week, and I was like. I hope someone writes something about this soon. I'm glad that they did. Uh, this is great. So uh, Netflix did not resp respond to our uh, request for comment by this time the story was published, uh, but I consider what Netflix CEO Reed Hastings posted on Facebook last April. Comcast no longer following net neutrality principle. Comcast should apply caps equally or not at all. Interesting. Equally or not at all. I spent the weekend enjoying for uh, four good internet video apps on my Xbox, Netflix, HBO Go, Xfinity, Hulu. When I watch video on my Xbox for th from three of these four apps, it counts against my Comcast internet cap. When I watch through Comcast's Xfinity app, however, it does not count against my Comcast internet cap because Comcast is, that's their service. For example, if I watch last night's SNL episode on my Xbox through the Hulu app, it eats up about one gigabyte of my cap. But if I watch the same episode through the Xbox Xfinity app, it doesn't use my cap at all. The same device, the same IP address, the same Wi-Fi, the same internet connection, but totally different cap treatment. In what way is this neutral? Huh. So that, so that sounds like pretty... Like he's upset, of course, because it's just not fair that Comcast's own service can compete with Netflix because it's, again, not being counted against the cap. 
or any other service for that matter. Uh, and then there's a <laughs> apparently there's the Netflix director of business development said something uh, working. What is it? Working with IINet to offer quota-free Netflix content gives more. Oh, so okay. So now Netflix is actually working with ISPs like Comcast to not be counted against the quota of bandwidth as a, as a premier partner of these companies. So the, of course the CEO would be upset and his only solution in this environment currently, because Australia is not the US, they don't have net neutrality rules. Uh, even if we, if, if the US had, look at me saying we as if I'm like from the US. Naturalized. <laughs> uh, nope. Um, so it's funny because now now The Verge is saying it's a flip-flop like like Frank Underwood, House of Cards, um, which is bullshit because, no, they're just being realistic. They're, they can't win unless they play the same way that Comcast is playing, which is making a deal with them to say, we'll give you some money, just please don't count us against your cap. And they can't make they can't craft a law that makes Comcast have to count everything the same. Uh, yeah, it's, it's tough. And this is like, you know, this is the more technical side, the more experienced side that we're talking about of net neutrality. But I think we should shift to the side that you and I are, are more terrified about. Uh, remind me what is that, what that is? Cause I'm, I'm currently, my head is in Netflix. <laughs> <laughs> your, net, your head is in open connect. <laughs> yeah. Take me, so take the, me back out. Whoosh. All right. So let's just zoom back out and. Really, what what Olivia and I are I've been concerned about is oh now the, I remember now you remember mm-hmm. the fact of the matter is that we're giving regulatory control to a government that has shown complete disrespect for technology and privacy and and disdain for things like encryption and and things that are vital to what I see as our internet rights of of privacy and and data and you know security in our papers as the fourth amendment says um we're, we're giving regulatory control and and we're giving a foothold to a government that in the past year to you know five has shown no track record that this is a good idea mm-hmm. we've had you know snowden was what two years ago may 2013 june i think june may june yeah um and in the past two years the amount of things that have come out about what you know, security agencies are doing to the technology we're using every day are are appalling, and, and I see the same people rooting for net neutrality appalled by what the NSA is doing. You know, recently there was that that thing that came out that I don't know if it's been verified too much yet, but the the whole firmware. Um, oh, it's been verified. Okay, so <laughs> yeah. there there was some weirdness surrounding it, but you know there was insecurities in firmware where there was firmware being embedded into hard drives that would allow basically government security institutions to get around to, uh, drive encryption and just completely subvert drive encryption entirely. Let me quickly define this because I'm too, way too interested in this, uh, even if it's a segue. Not just drive encryption. It was, it was preventing any installed snooping device, so basically any, any way to modify the software in any way, to be embedded in a part of the hard drive that cannot be overwritten by reinstallation. So if you ever, even if you wipe your disk clean on every computer you've ever had, the actual physical drive 
has now a modification that allows whatever agency or it's funny because everybody says agency. This is the part that you and I kind of like agree on. It's not just agencies. If, if someone that has a lot of money and is a government can do it, someone somewhere will figure out how to do it with a lot of money and no government. So it doesn't necessarily have to be nation state problems. Uh, of course, it's obviously them because they have more mathematicians and more money than everybody else for now. Um, so anyway, th this is a very a very true problem, and, and it's such a problem that this this is not only affecting hard drives. It's a thing that can be applied to, for instance, a mobile device. So if a mobile device firmware can be modified, uh, what we mean by firmware generally is just what makes the hardware connect to the software. Um, that that part gets compromised, then you're screwed. Whatever you yeah, do, the only the only solution you have is to turn off the phone or just remove the battery. Uh, and put it in a fridge like Snowden yeah, did. Not use it in whatever right. way. Right. Which yes. a lot of uh, freedom, uh, secrecy-minded uh, people in, in Berlin right now, the uh, Chaos Computer Club people, and even the people who worked on the on the, on the the EFF and uh, Laura Portois' side of the Snowden story, now just stopped using uh, phones because they, they have informants and people they work with who are at risk, and they don't want to put these people at risk. Anyway, back to uh, the, the main point, sorry. So yeah, I think we're going to get back around to and talk about encryption at the end, but I, I wrote a thing a week or two ago just about outlining some of these things and, and putting a few quotes together that, that explain why I'm so nervous about handing this type of control over to the government in any form. Um, so I guess just to walk through a little bit of that first mm -hmm. to give it a good groundwork for this. Um, first thing to say is that one of the biggest issues right now is that we have not been allowed to see the 330-some page legislation uh, and rules that are being proposed. That has not been released to the public yet. Hmm. That is all internal, and, they, and they've said, from the FCC that is, they've said we want the dissenting opinion first before anything, because the FCC voted 3-2 to two against this thing. So it's not unanimous on the FCC side by any means, and this still has to go through congressional processes and and three to two for this thing four yeah yep, yep. um so there Sorry. was two people on that on that board or whatever it, it is called that uh, are against this so and they, sadly they, said, they were both republicans which is not making this <laughs> this whole deal easier so the the fcc has said that they want to wait for their dissenting opinion before they release this thing at all but that alone should give you a little bit of cause for concern <laughs> because it's the same government that says, if you don't have anything to hide, then why hide it, right? When they uh -huh. are talking to things about the Patriot Act and things like that, then if you don't have anything to hide, then why hide it from us? But Wait. that's beside the point. The, <laughs> the, the thing that we have to look at so far is uh, a few summaries from the FCC that explain where they stand about open internet rules and different things like that. Mm -hmm. um, and, in, and we'll link this in the show notes and all that. It's mm -hmm. a, this was from, uh, I don't know, a couple weeks ago, I guess. Um, four-page summary, and, and in it they explain things uh, called the Brightline Rules, which mm -hmm. are the three rules that would ban practices that are known to harm the open internet, capital O, capital I, whatever that is. <laughs> um, and, and the first two of these, I think, are classic, terrifying uh, legalese in the mm -hmm. way that it provides enough obscurity and and abstraction that it could be very harmful to us in the future. Mm -hmm. Which is basically, by the way, a legislator, a.k.a. lawyer's favorite, absolute favorite tool, because if you make vague legislation, you can interpret it any way you want, in any situation you want, 
And uh, if you're if you don't know much about this, look up the uh, the whatever created the doctrine of uh, um, cannot confirm nor deny. Just look this up somewhere. It's actually I'll try to find a link. It's, it's the same it, thing it, as it, starting out an answer to a question as I'm not sure I'm clear on your question exactly, but yes, you're completely absolved from everything that comes after that legally. Yep. Yeah. So, so the first two bright line rules, I'm just going to read them out and then talk about what I see as the main issue here. And, and I haven't even gotten your take on this yet, so I'm interested to hear this. <laughs> um, the first one is about no blocking. So it says, broadband providers may not block access to legal content, applications, services, or non-harmful devices. Which sounds, oh yeah, that sounds good, I can get behind that. But you start thinking about this a little bit, and there's a key phrase in here, which is access to legal content. Uh-huh, that's your favorite. That's your, that's your the, I think the it's like the the rage diamond of this entire thing. It totally is because that sounds good and everyone sounds like they would support it because I support legal stuff. Yeah, sure. But the issue is what is legal content? It's, it has not been defined anywhere. There is no reference to who would define that or when it would be defined or if it would even be defined. Let and, me tell you what France de- deems legal then. France uh, had a similar issue, uh, actually many years ago now, where uh, it was deemed that most people were pirates. <laughs> not kidding. That most people stole music and uh, films and TV shows on the internet. And therefore, uh, we could not, first of all, even before we consider what is legal content, like it, what is private copy, which was in another issue many years ago, is it legal for you to host on your own... I don't know, your own web server, a copy of a video that you've purchased for your own use and to distribute to your friends. For my own and open family. connect box. <laughs> exactly. This is and uh they I think they would there was even beside the point, uh they they just ruled that everybody was likely to steal, therefore everybody would pay a tax on every storage device anywhere hard drives, USB flash keys, like all this stuff, flash drives, anything. Uh, now in France, every time you buy any kind of digital storage device, you pay dividends to companies, whether or not they've ever sold anything to you, who are not artists that need, dis- desperately need, you know, you know, subsidies to survive because they don't make that much money. No, no, no. These are the record label, you know, music companies that make millions of euros and billions of euros receive that money and now are trusted through a kind of like a centralized company called the SESIM to redistribute to the appropriate uh, copyright owners. So it's now their job to say, oh, you, you get this much, you get this much from this big pie that we get from everybody who may or may not steal our content. So that that's a preview that a, of that what legal content of leaving things wide open. Mm-hmm. And and that is the main issue with saying with just referring to legal content. Again, I'm fine with content being illegal, not necessarily, but <laughs> in in again, back to the, like the Don't say that. That's method. a horrible quote. I can No, pull but that like quote. back to the, this goes back to the same thing. Yeah. In the philosophical way, I'm okay with legal and illegal things in life. What I'm not okay with is descriptions and definitions that are completely absent with no promise that it will ever be created by who, by when. For what purpose? So if I, they if could I just say legal content and leave it at that, and down the line they could say, you know what, that that rant you had about 
government laws and, and against government agencies that were trying to protect your own personal safety. Mm-hmm. That's that's not legal anymore to talk about them like that. So guess what? Multilog episode nine or whatever on blocked. So my my answer, if I try to empathize with my my dear lawyer lawyer friends, and I have some, um, <laughs> is that legal content is something that is just a, a, a dynamic variable. Like think about programming, right? This this is just a placeholder for the laws that exist in the land. And if it happens that something becomes illegal, then this this legislation is now dynamic enough to account for that. And now, you know, uh, it's allowed for an ISP to block it because it's illegal and they should do it anyway. They don't do it very well because they don't, they're, you know, there's, you know, mean, you know, bad little ISPs not following the law that well because it's hard. But, you know, so what would be the answer, basically? And and my answer would be, are we okay with that being the, the ruling statement on what is legal and not legal on the internet? Is It eh, depends. <laughs> are we okay with that definition? Are, if, you know, are we as okay with that definition as we are with everything else that's in a net neutrality rule? Mm-hmm. And that's when we get into the issues is, well, yeah, I like some of this, but I don't know if I like all of this. So speaking of blocking, let me give you a clear example. Uh, any na- Nazi peripheral... Oh, I can't say that word. Can you say it for me? Paraphernalia. That's Thank the you. word you were looking for? Thank you very much. Uh, any of that stuff is uh, illegal in every form fashion in France. Uh, at some point in the 90s... God. Uh, eBay put for sale... Someone on eBay put for sale some of some Nazi items that they got from their dad, who was probably a GI, who probably got it while raiding, you know, a Nazi bunker somewhere. They put it on sale because it's just, you know, historical items and he can make some money off of it. There was no, it was, they weren't making the, like, they weren't promoting Nazi, you know, philosophy or what, that's just a big word, way, way too deep for that. But anyway, it was outrageous for France that people could actually see this on the internet from France. So they subpoenaed eBay to make it unavailable, so to block it, because it didn't follow the French rules, which were none of that stuff on the internet ever anywhere. Uh, So would a country, and this is where I, I make it more interesting, would a country like Pakistan have a say in what is legal content in the U.S.? Could they say, hey, guys, this is super offensive to us and not legal because we made it outlawed. Um, could you please be pressured enough for whatever reason to now agree that this should also be illegal on your internet? Oh, I'm sorry, your open internet. That's the and thing. And then that's... take that one step further. If that's If that's not okay, then why is it okay for us to request that? Exactly, which the U.S. does all the time. Right. It's the double standard. Mostly for copyright reasons. Right. Yeah. Yep. So that's that's the issue with that. But the I think the next bright line rule follows similar patterns and has more dire implications for us. So let me read that one off. This is about throttling. And and again, read this with the same mindset that I just gave to you. Look for words that that seem a little vague, a little too open ended that could get us into trouble in the future. Broadband providers may not impair or degrade lawful internet traffic on the basis of content, applications, services, or non-harmful devices. 
<laughs> Which the the phrase non-harmful devices just doesn't I don't even know what that means. <laughs> but the the problem is here broadband providers may not impair or degrade lawful internet traffic. Yep. And when we start thinking about what makes up lawful internet traffic, I start getting a little nervous because mm-hmm. we start looking at things that the rest of the government has been talking about in terms of what should and should not be lawful and what should and should not be allowed to be used on the internet. Mm-hmm. And one particular thing that I pulled out was a quote from the new FBI director, uh, James Comey, who I guess he was, he's in office for a little over a year or something like that. Yep. And he had a speech a while back. Um, I Which you should watch. Oh, it's it's terrifying, but well, actually, uh, yes. there's a really good part of this speech. I'll I'll be slightly positive, but yeah, this part was super scary. Go ahead. So it was called "Going Dark," and it was all about uh, encryption and data and what data the government does and doesn't have access to in terms of you know in, in his case in terms of of FBI operations and things like that. But I think when we start thinking about these two things in connection, because they're both just wings of the government, uh, it gets a little scary. So he said. Unfortunately, the law hasn't kept pace with technology, and this disconnect has created a significant public safety problem. We call it going dark. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we need a little sound effect there. (laughs) And what it means is this. Those charged with protecting our people aren't always able to access the evidence we need to prosecute crime and prevent terrorism, even with lawful authority. We have the legal authority to intercept and access communications. Pausing there for dramatic effect. (laughs) And information pursuant to court order but we often lack the technical ability to do so. He went on a bunch more, and then uh, this comment that I felt kind of connected to that. Mm-hmm. And if the challenges of real-time interception threaten to leave us in the dark, encryption threatens to lead us all to a very dark place. It's very somber what he's saying, isn't it? He's saying I mean, that encryption is the reason that Americans will die. Yes. In uh, no uncertain terms, that is what he's saying. I really want to know where the door for this dark web is because i'd like to see it like just just to explore it's right next to the deep web you got two choices yes (laughs) you're right um so yeah well this is fear-mongering of course um which is really funny because we see so i want to come back to something that you said you said you said that a lot of people who are opposed to uh to probably exactly this this is a great time encryption issues so protection of privacy Dissidents who are against their regime and their own governments uh, not being able to encrypt themselves to protect themselves when they're discussing, debating, and talking about how the bad things that their government is saying. Journalists talking to informants and sources to to reveal and whistleblow about bad practices that, oh, yes, we would have talked about these bad practices at some point in the future, but... Uh, Oh, well, I guess we had to do it earlier because this this whistleblower came out. Yeah, sure. Um, all these things are dependent on encryption, so it's easy to be for them because they're, they're clear examples out there to, to make them easy to swallow. E- even with that, there are some people against it. And what scares me is the... Uh, that term is overused, but the... Um, you talked about how people who are for encryption even don't see that, and that is a can't remember the term, but it's basically holding two thoughts in your heads or your head if you only paradox. have one. It's a paradox, but it's also a, a cognitive dissonance. So you have these mm-hmm. two things that are base. If you really analyze both of them, they're against one another. They cannot coexist. They they cannot or will be in conflict in a, a, a lot. Uh, 
So it, it's 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 something that happens actually a lot, and it's not that surprising that someone who is for encryption and privacy would not understand that there's even a possibility that this open internet net neutrality could be used against to hinder uh, this stuff. And I'm, I'm not one to draw that parallel already, but... I am, actually. Go ahead. I, I am only because you need to look at the way that the government all wings of the government, not just the parts that are good for us. There are parts of government that are very good for us. There are parts of government that have become very bad for us. Mm -hmm. And you need to look at the comments that every side of it is making. We can't just think about the way that the FCC is promoting openness and equality for service providers. We need to think about this stuff and the way that it's worded because it will come in contact with things that the FBI and the NSA and the CIA and intelligence agencies are doing. And they will affect us, mm -hmm. just in the same way that the Patriot Patriot Act affected and and really threw a lot of the same internet culture into outrage in the early two thousands after after nine eleven that that allowed government to to wiretap us without any warrants or anything like that at all. Mm -hmm. I, I really see that this is going to lead to the second Patriot Act, and that is going to outlaw encryption. And it sounds dramatic, and it sounds crazy, but if you look at comments that the FBI director has been making and and NSA directors that got you know mike rogers last week was dodging these questions about encryption mm -hmm. all over the place and even obama's okay. been talking about the fact that the government needs backdoors into encryption it is not a far stretch to say that the government when it comes to uh you know intelligence things like that they hate encryption <laughs> they hate encryption yep. unless it's their access that is encrypted they hate encryption and and it's the thing that makes me nervous you know when i'm talking about fcc and net neutrality is that like i said the term lawful internet traffic is in rules that are proposed to be made legislation. The danger there is, again, they have not said who decides what lawful is. If the FCC is divided, deciding who is, what is lawful, then maybe they will say, you know what, encryption is lawful. If the government at large is saying what is and isn't lawful, and we are in a time that is driven by the security agencies, they could say encryption is harmful to the state of the country, Therefore, it is unlawful. All of a sudden, encrypted traffic could be completely blocked on internet that is within our country, mm -hmm. on any traffic that is flowing through our country. And that—that's yeah, a lot of again, traffic. Do we want? Do we do we really want Netflix bits to be treated, you know, the same as everyone else's bits, at the expense of encryption? And that's yeah, what's that's the a, cost? What's the like, cost of this? This up, right. you know, right. And it sounds like I'm being, you know, alarmist and all this stuff, but the point is that it's it's all of these things are tied together, and it's not going to be these independent, you know, it's are, not. Going are to be you saying it's all connected, cases. Anthony? It's all connected. It's like a giant <laughs> network. It's all connected. I just get really fired up over this because it's the, the problem it when you start saying things that are dire is that when you, you really don't want to repeat them because then people can make a tape of you repeating them. Like oh, it's yeah. it's like a litany. And you can, have it I written. can go full I Alex can, Jones. I can I can see his room from the Skype call that we have, and I can tell you that it's not written. It's all connected on the wall behind <laughs> him. I can promise. That. I have like I have a I have a. All around me are things of the space program. Right? <laughs> I'm not like this anti-government guy. I have stuff all over my wall of things that the government has dumped billions of dollars into to get us to the moon, to build space stations, and no. like all this stuff. So the, the point isn't that government is all evil and out to get you. The point is that there are multiple sides of the government. And, and in the past two years, we've been pissed off at one of them. 
-hmm. And now we're ready to say, let's write some really obscure legislation that can be screwed with by that wing that's, that's hurting us. Speaking of that wing that's screwing us, I feel like it's a good time to, to just talk about this this thing that you just quoted, which which is the Mike Rogers. So Mike Rogers is the new NSA director who uh, replaced the uh, very lovable, um, I forgot his name, but uh, the previous head of the NSA who had to resign for very interesting circumstances that I, I suggest you, you research. Um, and there was a really interesting uh conflict i guess um there was uh i think it was last week yeah it was last week uh, there was a cyber security for a new america conference in washington dc and uh the mike rogers who's a new nsa head was there and there was also a guy called mike uh, actually alex stamos um alex stamos is the ciso so the security chief for yahoo and he asked him a bunch of questions about what why do you think, do you agree uh, that we're building defects into the encryption of our products so that the U.S. government can decrypt? It's a very straightforward question. Uh, and then, of course, that was kind of like avoided sidestep, like you said. And one really interesting response was the the ref- absolute refusal of the, the head of the NSA, who by all accounts has under its employ all the best mathematicians because that's what cryptography is. It's just mathematics uh, in the world, at least the, you know, the ones we know of vaguely because we don't really know. But basically all these people who are working on encryption problems and breaking it and making it for work for government. Um, this man who's at the head of that agency bragged about having a lot, I quote, a lot of world cl- world class cryptographers at the NSA, and then after saying that, after bragging about his amazingly uh, equipped his pack of nerds, <laughs> as he probably thinks of them, his herd nerd, uh, herd nerds or nerd herd, uh, he said, and I'm trying to find that quote because it's just so good, it's just so amazing. Basically, it, his answer to Alex uh, Stamos was. Alex Demos said, you realize that backdoors are not, there's no such thing as a secure backdoor. If you make encryption weak, it's, encryption is based on mathematics. If you make it weak, it is inherently then at this point not safe. Because you've now changed the algorithm in, in a fashion that makes it breakable by someone. If it's breakable by you, it's breakable by someone else. That's the basic gist. Uh, and his answer was basically the big Lebowski answer of that's like whatever, man, your opinion, because he just said, we'll find a way. And his I'm trying to trying to there you go. Framework framework is the, the key word here. My position is, hey, look, I think that we're lying that it, this isn't technically feasible. Now, it needs to be done within a framework. What does that mean? Is it a legal framework? Is it a Ruby on Rails development framework? I have no idea. Uh, I'm Nor the f- does he. Yeah, he has no idea. I'm the first to acknowledge that. By the way, when someone says, I'm the first to acknowledge that, they have no idea what they're doing. Uh, you don't want the FBI and you don't want the NSA un- unilaterally deciding, comma, so, comma, what we are going to access and what we are not going to access. That shouldn't be for us. I believe, so he's basically saying, yes, we should have a backdoor. No, we shouldn't decide 
who gets the back door and who accesses the back. So do we need a new agency who just decides which agency has access to what? Not not sure. Uh, that shouldn't be for us. He says, I just believe that this is achievable. You know what? If you believe in your heart, buddy, I'm sure, I'm sure we can all do it. We can just all make math work like it doesn't. Uh, we'll have to work our way. I'm quoting again. We'll have to work our way through it. So he's just basically like, we can do this. America can just break math. Make it. We can break the laws of, phys- of physics. This is something we can do. And he then acknowledges that there are international implications. I think we can we can work our way through this. So what's great about this bunny quote, uh, which we'll link to on on the show on the show notes, is that he said this, and days later, and this is what's great about the news cycle. Uh, days later, I don't know if you saw this. Uh, Obama made some remarks uh, condemning. Condemning? Hmm? Condemning. Yeah, it's just removing ends from 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 words. Uh, uh, I think it's sharply condem- condemning the the stance of China on encryption. And this is what's amazing about the news cycle. Here is that a month ago, Obama was saying, as David Cameron of the UK was saying, Prime Minister, um, that encryption was bad because we have to have our agents go through some stuff because this is how we find terrorists. So. China was like, yeah, that's yeah, we totally agree with that. Yeah, we we need to find dissidents and uh, and terrorists too, terrorists, lawful content, um, and he basically so Obama just went on to say this is something that I've raised with directly with President Z. Uh, I don't know if it, this is how you say. It. We've made it very clear to them that this is something that they're going to have to change if they are to do business with the U.S. So the President of the United States is saying. We can do encryption. Our agencies can, sorry, break encryption. Our agencies can break encryption, but we'll be very frameworky and think about it legally and have discussions about it and work through it. But if China or any country, any sovereign country, because China is the, one of those, decides to do the same thing, then we'll say we cannot have, do business with you ever, ever, because obviously you're not. You don't have the the presence of mind of deciding what's lawful and not lawful and who's a terrorist and who's not because we don't trust you. This is exactly the kind of slippery slope that I think Anthony and I are are worried about because net neutrality as implemented in the U.S. will be largely flavored by what the current government and or and 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 legis- legislative bodies and uh, agencies decide is kosher for the internet. Um, so, yeah, it's kind of scary. So the biggest shining light to me the past week um, with regards to the encryption stuff that I've been terrified about was um, Tim Cook had an, had an interview with uh, The Telegraph. And I don't know, we're not going to go through it, blow, blah, blah, because it is, it is a, it's, uh, Olivia is shaking his head yes, because Basically, he went on a scathing rampage about how encryption should not be uh, screwed with on the public side to counteract terrorism because it is ineffective. And and he had a lot of great points that saying, you know, terrorists use different methods of communication than the public does. <laughs> so why are we subjecting the public to certain rules that the ter- terrorists aren't going to follow anyway? And he he had a lot of great points that were just very specifically pointed at at these issues that were you know we need to we need to get around encryption to fight terrorism he he was just 
blatantly rejecting that. And, and the fact that someone who is so respected in the U.S. and respected by the president specifically, um, you know, they, they, they see each other a good amount whenever Obama decides he wants to dip into the Silicon Valley culture or anything like that. Tim Cook's usually nearby. So the fact that he's going out and, and preaching this stuff for, as someone who is integral to technology today. I mean, he's running the, the most valuable company in the world who happens to be one of the biggest technical companies in the world. It's, it's pretty great to have him out there saying, you're making a bad decision for consumers at the expense of their data and their privacy, that, and it's not going to help protect them at all because that's not the way that these things work. Mm-hmm. It's it's really encouraging. That's true. I don't know if you have any particular quote of of his that was your favorite. Any any particular point that he was talking about that you were liking or anything like that. But there was a lot of stuff in that in that. Uh, well, I, I guess I'll quote interview. this. None of us should accept that the government or a company or anybody should have access to all of our private information. That this is a basic human right. We all have a right to privacy. We shouldn't give it up. We shouldn't give it to scaremongering. We shouldn't give in to scaremongering or to people who fundamentally do not understand the details. This is the part that just drives people who are technologically savvy crazy. Yes, philosophically, great idea. Yes, you're awesome. it's great. It's fighting terrorism way easier when you don't have any of the rules, any of the technical details. But when you do have them, it doesn't work that way. And that's the problem. It's the same problem... <laughs> It's the same reason why it's very problematic for anybody who's involved with the science committee in Congress to try to disprove global warming with a snowball, a fucking snowball. It's the same reason why a cleric in Saudi Arabia trying to disprove uh, the earth rotating around the sun during a rant is terrifying. These people are fucking clueless. They have no idea what they're talking about. And thankfully... People like Tim Cook, who is not as nearly as standoffish with the government as Steve Jobs was, uh, I think. Yeah, you're right. That's actually really encouraging. Now the problem is <laughs> that all the other companies who could have tried to enlighten the government uh, were being prissy, and uh, because of I don't know. I think they were trying to make a point, and they decided not to attend. Uh, I think a meeting that uh, Obama was attending uh, to to protest, I guess, some things. So it's very strange that you would have had Steve Jobs do that in the past. Like that would Apple would have been the company who doesn't talk to government because they don't have they don't need to. Like they don't even own suits. Why are they going to talk to government for exactly? And now I feel like the the slow, patient, um, you know, teacher like. kind of boring if you list out every adjective that could describe that guy it's pretty amazing that he's the one standing up you have a a gay man from alabama who is the ceo of the most valuable company in the world telling the government back off of our privacy it's it's an incredible thing that is being underappreciated the amount of of statements that is making yeah and not just the fact that you know He's the first openly gay CEO of a massive company, and he's being completely outspoken about that in hopes that it will help someone else in the world. That was a pretty great thing that he did a couple months ago that was mm-hmm. saying, I'm writing this not because I want you to know, but just because I know it will help somebody out there. Yep. And he's he's increasingly being someone who's standing up for people and their rights, and it's it's the first time in history that the most valuable company in history is standing up for our rights and and you know, humanity. It's, it's pretty cool. Actually not trying to be a robber baron. 
Right. Yeah. I've never seen the Exxon CEO do that or anything like that. You know what I mean? <laughs> or the Uber CEO. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, so, I just think it's really cool to, to have somebody of his stature standing up for us. And I hope that that government will listen in this case. And, and I'm hoping that it's not, you know, too far gone already. So let's just, let's just tie in. Like, I, I want to end on this because I love how that you got into that. Uh, we did a, an episode where we talked some about diversity. Uh, it was actually technically horrible. I apologize for that. And, but we talked about the fact, uh, that's the, I guess it's the practical argument for diversity. And this is exactly, uh, diversity. It's its own reward. Uh, it doesn't, you, you don't have to benefit from it to, for it to make sense. But here we have someone who can probably empathize with any Egyptian gay activist who is being persecuted because they are gay and that's how they're getting shot down by government but that's how their their character is assassinated by government because during one of their private conversations someone found out that they were gay and this is how you just destroy them just so, this is the same way that someone at the CIA decided this this is how you just shoot down someone who's being a, a troublemaker when it's inconvenient for whatever party in power and whatever government agency so having someone who has a little bit of a different take on something is incredibly crucial. So this is kind of like a tie-in. All this stuff requires different perspectives. Even if we agree with the letter, I guess, or the spirit, not the letter, <laughs> the spirit of this, this deal, uh, I guess there's something that makes us see something that, sadly, a lot of our peers don't see or not worried about. And even if this thing goes through, like this is the thing that I'm thinking, like maybe this thing has too much momentum to be stopped, right? Uh, or stopped, whatever that means. But while it's being um, sized up and completed, uh, maybe maybe it can be tempered in a way that avoids it being such a dangerous, you know, open loophole, basically. Yep. Yeah, I have two, two quotes that I just want to, as my last two things that I really think about this. Um, the end of that speech by Comey, um, one of the last paragraphs, this was a speech back in October, uh, and this was one of the paragraphs here. We also need a regulatory or legislative fix to create a level playing field so that all communication service providers are held to the same standard and so that those of us in law enforcement, national, national security, and public safety can continue to do the job you have entrusted us to do in the way that you would want us to. So that was back in October when he was saying that, you know, that, that entire speech about encryption and the harms of encryption. Mm -hmm. He ends with saying that what they need is a regulatory fix. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying that net neutrality is targeted to be a fix for the FBI, but it's certainly a foothold for that. It's not going to hurt their prospects. Right. And, and connected to that, uh, Edward Snowden did an AMA on Reddit uh, last week, and I think the most pertinent quote from there mm -hmm. was, once you grant the government some new power or authority, it becomes exponentially more difficult to roll it back. And again, not every aspect of net neutrality and what's proposed is bad, and not everything is harmful to you and, and what you'll be doing on the internet, but you need to look at this issue as an entire... You know, uh, you need to look at the full 360 degrees of this issue, not just the side that is saying that Comcast can't take money from from video providers, but look at the other side and, and what footholds the government has into that regulation and, and ways that the parts of the government you don't like could come into play because you need to protect yourself from that 
and and we really need to protect ourselves from things that could harm the way that we want the internet and i'm sure that you know i'm sure that everyone that isn't in the government or or working with you know security agencies i'm sure we all love encryption and we want encryption and we want to be secure in our privacy and and tim cook is very much in the same way and i you know it's not any surprise that he's a guy who kept something very private for years and and ended up opening up about being gay a couple months ago but he had kept that private for years so he has these privacy concerns close at heart and he's lived that way through his entire life and he's had speeches about growing up in Alabama and trying to keep this a secret just because of the society down there so he's someone who who has this genuine concern about privacy and about data and and your personal life and i i really am hoping that that his speaking out can can really change that conversation around privacy and things like that and make us consider privacy when we are building these these regulations and things like that.